if you can put a little reference in there and it's a little familiar, people are going to pay more attention. And there's also that little bit of exclusivity where people are like, I get that reference. Yeah, I know that reference. So that plus it's a little unexpected. That's one of the several tactics and strategies that Thomas Frank, our special guest today, uses to help grow his brand. He's a massively successful YouTuber. He's got a big brand over at uh, collegeinfogeek.com. And we've been friends for quite a while. So this has been a long time coming. I'm happy to have him on the show. We talk about how he built his brand, some of the strategies that he used to make money right at the start, including Amazon affiliates and all that stuff, and what he's doing to make money now, and a little bit more into the weeds of video and how important that is and how to get started as well. So let's dive right in. Let's do it. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he was once known for being a world-class procrastinator, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use. And one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. What's up, everybody? Paflin here. Thank you so much for joining me in session 324 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm here to help you make more money save more time, and help more people too. And today we got Thomas Frank on the show with us today, and we're just gonna dive right in because we got a lot of great stuff to talk about. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Thomas, what's up, man? Welcome to the SPI podcast. Thanks for being here, bro. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I think it's been actually five years since you were on my show. I don't know if it's to the day, but it's really close. Five years? Gee whiz, that's a long time. And we even knew each other before then. Right. Yeah, I've known you since Blog World 2012. I think was the first time I ever met you in person. Yeah, we have this like weird picture of us 
like looking super young and um, <laughs> after one of my talks and we'll post that up on the show notes because it's just like that's you know we've known each other for a while and you know I've done my thing and then I kind of you know saw you do your thing for a while and then all of a sudden I start hearing more about you from my videographer Caleb because he's in the YouTube scene and he's you know you, you know him pretty well and I remember him saying like dude have you checked out Thomas's YouTube channel a while he's like crazy growing right now and right now as we are speaking you're at 1.04 million subscribers on youtube which is just insane because i think when we met you were you were just starting out on youtube and had like 20,000 subscribers or something well when we met um i wasn't really a youtuber at all oh you weren't even doing youtube at the time no so i've had my youtube channel since 2006 when my brother and i were using it to post like ninja fight videos and just stupid things like that but I didn't get serious until uh, 2014. So when I met you, I think I had like 80 subscribers and they were just friends from high school. That's crazy. It was a dumping ground for old high school videos. Are those ninja videos still there? They are unlisted, but they do exist. Okay. I'll see, you guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you if I can, really I can have finish. a link for all of you out there. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't promise that. But I, okay, let's go back to 2012. What were you doing then? I mean, you were, were was that College Info Geek and that was your thing at that point? Yeah, 2012, I was still in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I literally turned 21 on the plane to blog world. It was a red eye flight. So I didn't get Vegas. to drink it, No, it was in New York city at that time. Oh, that wasn't the Vegas one. Oh, that's too bad. No, I've never <laughs> been to Vegas. So I never got to go to NMX or anything like that, but I, I flew to, to New York city for blog world. Um, kind of to see you and a few other people I really wanted to see like Lewis house. And, um, I think, Oh, Srini was there as well. Yeah. And I knew Srini from a previous trip. So I wanted to go. And I was still in college, so I had been running College Info Geek for, I believe, two years at that point. And I was going into my senior year of college, so I was also wondering, do I need to quit it or not? Because I'm going to become this old man who's no longer a student. What do I do? Yeah, which I do want to get into because a lot of people start sites like for 30-year-olds, and it has like, you know, for 30-year-olds in the domain, and then they turn 40, and they're like, what do you do? So I do want to talk about that in a little bit, but tell me about the origin story of how you got online and started College Info Geek in the first place. Yeah, so I think this was uh, right after my freshman year of college ended. I got a job on campus as what they called at my school the Cyclone Aides, and these were people who gave campus tours Mm. because we were the Cyclones, Um, and I'm not a big sports fan, so I don't really consider myself like a a super hardcore cyclone, but I was a cyclone aide. In fact, I remember going into college before being a freshman, getting to go on tours with these people. And I looked up to them so much and I wanted to be one. So I applied like as soon as I could when I got into college and uh, I got the job. And this required learning basically everything there was to know about the university, as well as all the kind of questions students were going to ask. So how do I do homework? How do I deal with homesickness? All this kind of stuff. So I learned all that. And at the same time, I was following this blog called Hack College, which at the time was run by college students. And uh, as I was training to get into the swing of things for the summer job, they posted something on their blog saying, hey, we're hiring more writers and uh, you can apply if you want. You have to be a student. We're kicking out all of our students that are graduating. Mm. So I spent all night, like it was one of the few all-nighters of my lives, uh, writing this awesome, and at least in my estimation at the time, awesome blog post. And I sent it in with my LinkedIn and my resume, and I thought it was a killer uh, application, but they rejected it. So I had a lot of free time when I wasn't working at that job, and I thought, well, I don't want that post to go to waste. And I'd been just sort of blogging, like a journal blogging, like, hey, we went and did this and that today, kind of like a holdover from my Zanga days. Yeah, I, yeah, Zanga, I was about to say Zanga. <laughs> Zanga was my first blogging <laughs> yeah. experience. 
I never had a MySpace, but I had Zanga. Um, so I had figured out like WordPress and I just had been posting fun little personal updates and I had this post and I thought, well, if I can't write for them, why not just make my own blog? And, uh, I was going to call it college beat and that was taken. And I thought, well, I'm an information systems major. So college info geek in five minutes came up with that domain, purchased it and uh, put up my first blog post. So you've put up your first blog post. What did you do like immediately after you hit publish? I uh, probably went to work. <laughs> <laughs> you just left. Or I went, you just left or I went down. Yeah, I didn't do anything with it. Seriously. Um, I probably went down to the bottom of the dorm and learned how to juggle with my friend Rob. So it was the most casual thing you could think of when I began. I had zero intentions to make it a business. I had zero intentions to become like a professional blogger or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about you until probably a year after I started. Now, um, up until you found me, what had you done anything new on that website? Has there had there ever been any more injection of energy into it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I posted between two to four times a month uh, oh, okay. for so the not, first not year. Too often. So yeah, it was fairly um, consistent, but it wasn't like I was going hardcore on every single day. And then I think two months into it, a friend of mine who I worked with at the campus IT center had asked me, hey, I saw you have a blog. I want to make a blog on Android development and uh, Linux tips. And I said, well, why not just join forces with me? Mm-hmm. So he kind of became my partner. And for a year, the blog was me writing about college tips and him writing about exclusively Linux and Android tips. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bunch of posts way back in the archives about here's how to get dual monitors on your Linux box and stuff like that. And then uh, he sort of his interest drifted off mine stayed. And the real first injection of, of success or like, you know, first breakthrough was I got a guest post on Hack College, which brought in 90 visitors in one day. And I was so excited because mm-hmm. it was more than five. <laughs> and then two months later, I think this was the very beginning of influencer marketing. Adobe reached out and they said, hey, we see you have a blog for students. Want to give away a free copy of the Adobe Master Suite? Oh, and by the way, we'll give you your own copy as well. And my mind was blown because people who remember before Creative Cloud came out, the Master Suite was $2,600, yeah. which was infinity money for a college student. <laughs> so getting the opportunity to get a free copy of Photoshop and Illustrator and all that kind of stuff, I jumped at it. And that was the first sort of realization that, oh, this could maybe be like a legitimate project, not just like a fun side thing that no one would care about. That's cool. And you were still in college at this time. Yep. And yeah, that would have been my end of my sophomore year. Okay. And then when, when did you, okay, so you got the Adobe sort of, you know, opportunity, which is pretty cool, you know, and if mm-hmm. you have an audience of any kind, those opportunities exist. And it's really cool that they kind of found you. Um, yeah. Still the same amount of post frequency. I mean, when did you really start to get serious about this? Then. Right. It was when, it was oh, when the okay. Adobe thing happened. Yeah. So I was what did like, you do oh, different after that? This, this is something that I need to really go hardcore on. So I did a few things. I started blogging incredibly frequently to the point where I was just going into my summer internship at a big Fortune 500 company. Um, I worked as hard as I could at that company to get my work done in half the time and then spent my other 20 hours per week on the blog. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I was in the IT department, so they never really said anything about it. And then I would come home. So they had flex time and I would do four 10 hour days at the company. I would ride my bike 15 miles to work every day and I'd come home. And then from six to maybe 1 a.m. I would work on the blog or read articles or try to grow social media or, you know, floundering about doing other things that you you think you're supposed to do. 
Um, and you can look in the archives. I think June, July, and August of that year, there's like 30 posts. So it was probably once a day. Mm. And the other thing I thought I had to do was grow a team. So I started recruiting people at my internship or other students, or I put out um, just notices on the blog. Hey, if you want to write, come write. And eventually had a team of 10 writers. Uh, that didn't last too long. And that was around the time that I started reading like Nerd Fitness and your blog. And I started realizing that, oh, long form, highly edited, very you know intentful content does better than these little fluffy 500 word articles. Mm-hmm. So everyone sort of organically quit or lost interest and I didn't really pursue them. And I decided to really buckle down and focus on long form instead. Nice. And at that point, had there ever uh, been any other opportunities for you to kind of start turning it into a business? Um, when, when did you f- make your first dollar from that website? I'm wondering. Good. Qu- okay. So my first dollar, I love my first dollar story. It, it, it wasn't from the website, but it was from learning online marketing. Um, so there's like this really scammy website called the Warrior Forum where everyone's trying to scam each other. And I didn't know anything about online marketing. So I was just browsing every website that looked like it was going to help me build my blog. And somebody on that website in the web dev help forum said, I will pay somebody to help me with this web bug. And uh, so I said, sure, I can help you out. And he's like, I will PayPal you $20 if you can fix this thing. I figured it would take me a few hours. Turns out he just didn't close his table tag in HTML. Uh So I literally typed slash bracket and fixed his website for him. It was like some stop smoking niche site or something. And he PayPal me 20 bucks. And that was like the light bulb moment. Like, Oh my gosh, you can make so much money in so little amount of time doing this. And, uh, that was kind of like the bug for making money. Yeah. Um, some other cool things happened. Like Adobe flew me out to go to their max conference and cover it, which was my first real experience with video. And then I think my first actual dollar through the website came through Amazon affiliates just like uh, everyone else, right? When you started, that was out. the easy one. Yeah, it was the easy one to sign up for, and I made some like best headphones for students guides and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And your website now is taken off collegeinfogeek.com. Um, you know, you talked about the early days and getting you know five, maybe ninety visitors a day. Uh, how many yeah. visitors a day now do you get on your website? Good question. I think it's like average eight thousand a day. And then on your YouTube channel, how many views are you getting per day? Um, between 60 to 100,000 on an average day, day, I would say. Yeah. And That's then insane, if I yeah. publish a video, it usually is higher. That's crazy. And your video channel is really, I feel, and you, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, essentially the key with everything. I mean, that's how you've grown oh, most of your business. What, when in this journey did you start really focusing down on the video aspect? You said you went to... Adobe. And I think you said that that's when you first got interested in it, but like, what were your first videos about? How did you know what to create videos on? So the real serious video work started in August of 2014. Okay. And I remember the catalysts for this were, uh, number one fizzle. And so this is, this was actually the, the sort of like easy introduction to YouTube. I never had the, the uh, intention to be a YouTuber per se. I was a huge fan of fizzle and I was a member, so I had watched some of their video courses that you know were paid video courses. You had mm-hmm. to go in and subscribe to watch. But one day, I saw that Chase posted a three-minute clip from his productivity course as a blog post. And he had written in the blog post, hey, guys, we're going to try adding some video content to the blog just to spice things up. And I thought, hey, that would be a really cool way to spice up my blog. I've got a podcast. I've got written content, but I don't have video. So why don't we just do some videos and 
I'll host them on YouTube because I have this 10-year-old YouTube channel just sitting there mm-hmm. with ninja videos on it. Why not just host the videos there? I don't have any intention of getting views on YouTube, but they'll be on my blog and I can embed them and all that. And also uh, my friend Sean McCabe, which people probably know better as Sean West, was also mm-hmm. posting daily videos at that point. So I thought, all right, it's time that I start doing this. And because I was such a huge fan of video game reviewers like uh, like John Tron and Peanut Butter Gamer, mm-hmm. I took a lot of inspiration from them. And that's why my early videos had like a very overt video game reference kind of feel to them, but within my niche, which is student success. I really like that because, I mean, you're taking some interest that you have elsewhere and kind of putting your own style on top of videos that are related to, I mean, who is your target audience here on your YouTube channel? Right now, it's students of all ages and anyone who wants to become more productive. The students. And you have since graduated, right? So I want to go back Mm -hmm. to this question of why do you think people are still following you despite you not being in college anymore? Uh, there's, so there's two big reasons for that. The first was something that I put into action over two years ago. I think at this point, I stopped putting college info geek branding on my channel at all. So I may link to an article or a resource on my website if there's something really relevant in a video, but college info geek is not in the header art anymore. Mm. My YouTube channel name is Thomas Frank. There is no end card with the logo. You would have to go to the website to know that College Info Geek is my business if you just found me on YouTube. And a lot of my videos aren't even for students uh, exclusively. Like a lot of them are just productivity videos. And anybody of any age could use those. They're probably going to find them if they Google how do I stop procrastinating or, you know, best to-do list app or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of professional people will find that and they would have to go get my free ebook to realize, oh, this guy's got the word college in his domain name. And the other thing is something that uh, Gary Vee talks about a lot where you can have a core business and then you can also have a separate personal brand and your personal brand can be supported by your business, but eventually it may outgrow your business and it will work to support your business while also giving you additional opportunities elsewhere. Mm. So that's really what I've been focusing on. Build my name as a personal brand and then use that to support the business that serves students first and foremost. I love that because I can see students and professionals making great use of these videos such as you know your latest one here at the time of this recording is the method elon musk uses to manage his time we're all interested in elon musk and you know you do a great job of taking things that are popular right now in just the world and creating great content that is helpful about those things so you're kind of you know you're kind of riding the elon musk uh, wave, but also teaching, um, and this is really popular video. I mean, it was only posted four days ago. It has nearly 200,000 views at this point. Um, and then really interesting kind of factual type uh, episodes or, and videos like, um, does coffee dehydrate you or the truth about hydration and all this really useful stuff that like I didn't know I needed to know about until you told me I needed to know about it, which is really a lot of memorization and multitasking type uh, things, morning routines. So you can all hear that, you know, this isn't just necessarily for college kids, although um, when you started, obviously that that's who, what your niche was. Yeah. You, you, you come out with really, really good quality videos and I would recommend everybody go and subscribe uh, Thomas Frank on YouTube. And obviously we'll have links in the show notes, but can you go through your process of creating a video? Because, you know, obviously efficiency and, 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 you know, optimization with the work it takes to create a video is really important because I mean, you could, you could work on a video for months, but it 
yep. you, the quality of your videos are fantastic. Like, what is your workflow from idea and the origin of that idea to public publication? All right, this is going to be a process to explain. So we're going to break okay. it down. That's okay. Also, I can tell that uh, you are also interested in Elon Musk because I see the Boring Company hat. I am. Yeah, I'm wearing <laughs> uh, the Boring Company hat right now. Where did you get your hands on a Boring Company hat? So for those of you who don't know, Boring, the Boring Company is another company that Elon created on top of SpaceX, on top of Tesla and SolarCity. And it's his new company about digging. It's a digging company, hence Boring. And um, he one day just tweeted randomly, oh, I hate the traffic here in LA. I wish we could just dig underground and create a highway system underground. I'd call it the Boring Company. And then two days later, there was a, a tweet from him that said, hey, you can get a Boring Company hat. And oh, okay. I, I was just like, I want that hat because it's pretty cool. I actually had somebody at um, a cafe earlier today go, what's the boring company like? Why would you even have that hat? And I'm then I get to explain it. So yeah, if, if it's for marketing or just for fun, which Elon often just does things randomly for fun, like his little yep. flamethrower thing. Uh, I love that. <laughs> either, either way, it's, it's working. But yeah, that, that's where I got this hat. Um, I don't know if he's, he's still selling them. But anyway, back to you. Like, how, what's your progression through video? Okay, so there's really, let me see here, there's there's five stages to a video. There is the planning and scripting, which I, I suppose research would go in there as well. Um, there is the A-roll shooting, and I'll define what A-roll and B-roll are in a second here. Then there is the first, what I call first stage B-roll, which is gathering everything that is needed for B-roll and then doing B-roll in Premiere Pro. And I use two editing programs, which I'll explain as well. And then finally, there is the last B-roll stage, which I do in After Effects, which is where a lot of the spit and polish goes into my videos. And then there's obviously publishing. So with research and topic selection, the time investment in this stage really varies based on the actual topic. So the hydration video I did, that took probably 10 work hours of research to get right. I read tons of medical studies about hydration, tons of blog posts, Wikipedia articles, and then it took forever to bring all that information together, synthesize it, figure out what's actually important to talk about in the video and how does it all fit together, and then write like a full script for that thing. So that took a while, whereas a recent video like Eight Things You Should Stop Doing in the Morning, that was just me brainstorming topics, and I'm like, hey, people would probably really, really like that kind of a video. Because yeah. everyone wants to know what they really should stop doing in the morning. <laughs> Quick question so, for you. On the one that took you 10 hours to research, yeah. at least what I'm seeing here, it has less than 100,000 views in two months. Yeah. And the one from three weeks ago, which is the Morning Habits one, has four times as many. Yeah. So in my head, I'm like, <laughs> why would I spend all that time doing all that research on something versus you know the thing that people want to know about which is you know how to stop doing certain things in the morning like how do you how do you address that i mean i obviously i know now that i'm in i'm in youtube land you never know sometimes some some of those really videos do. that are well researched do very well and other times they don't i i did a video about productivity and it was really high quality you know top down camera view of my my apps on my phone and we caleb and i spent a lot of time with the setup and the sequencing and all that stuff and it like it doesn't even have two thousand views Yep. Whereas, like, I just talk about passive income for a few minutes, and then, boom, there's, like, 100,000 views. So, um, it's hard. Like, how do you know what to do if you don't know what's going to happen? You really don't. Uh, and this is a big thing with YouTube. The market's response to your work is not correlated with effort. 
Uh, okay, I don't want to say that there is a correlation with effort in so far as effort is going to help you have a more polished camera presence or a better script or something like that. Sure. But topic selection, uh, you know, what jives with the zeitgeist right now is so much more important than you spending 10 hours researching hydration. So I guess first and foremost, if you're only doing this for the views, you're eventually going to burn out. This is something you've talked about for years in this podcast, mm -hmm. but you know, you can't cynically sit around thinking like, what's going to get views uh, and only make your YouTube channel based on that because, you know, you're going to stop doing it. Um, though I do think very hard about how can I spin something that I'm interested to talk about into something that's really interesting. So the Elon Musk video, I had wanted to do a time boxing video for a long time because I think time boxing is a very cool technique, but no one's going to click on a video called how to time box. Mm -hmm. But learning that Elon Musk and Bill Gates use time boxing it's like, there's the connection. Everyone wants to know how Elon Musk manages his schedule. So yeah. there's how you do the time boxing video. Um, another great example, spaced repetition is, in my opinion, one of the most effective learning techniques in the world because you can, it, it's literally just a temporal hack. Instead of doing all of your learning right now, you space it out uh, with increasingly bigger intervals. But I knew no one's going to be Googling or putting into YouTube search spaced repetition. Nobody knows what that term is. And even if it pops up and suggested, fewer people are going to click on that than a title like the most powerful way to remember what you study. Mm. So what I always ask myself is, what is the question that my title and thumbnail put into the viewer's head? And how badly do they need that question answered once it's there? And, you know, the, the stronger that question is, the more successful your video is going to be, assuming that it does answer the question and that it does keep them watching. Right. And, you know, so what, those like, are just rules. Th those are great tips. And, and for the hydration one, although it doesn't have a lot of views now, that's something that I can see over time continuing to be like a top video related to when people just have interest in, yeah. in hydration versus like the eight things to stop doing when you wake up. Like nobody's typing in, what do I do? In the, what, what, do I, what do I need to stop doing in the morning? But yep. it, that has more of an interest. And in when people see that in suggested videos or when people see it on their home or browse, mm -hmm. uh, then then that's very clickable. And that's like, oh, well, uh, I want to make sure I'm not doing one of those things for sure. Yeah. And I will say my, my YouTube strategy was very optimized for search when I was smaller. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm a bigger creator, my YouTube strategy, I would say, is more balanced between a search strategy and a suggested strategy. Would you my recommend? videos never get on trending, but they do uh, well in suggestions. Would you recommend that for a new YouTuber to focus on, on search more than anything or what people are looking for? I would say it depends on your niche. Uh -huh. um, I would say that if you are if you are working in an area or your side project is something that is going to teach people something, help them in some way, educate them, then uh, search is definitely something that should be a part of your strategy at least. But I don't want to go as far as to say you should only be thinking about search because I've seen many creators who are in total garage mode um, blow up with one video mm -hmm. that is clearly optimized for suggestions and not search. And it may not have been a super calculated thing. They might have just been really passionate about a topic yeah. i had a friend who had this channel called engineering worth for a while and it was how to you know be better engineering student mm -hmm. and then he made this video called this is how short your life is and the thumbnail is just this pie chart and with a, a arrow to the big slice showing like this is what your life is and millions of people watched that video i think it has over two million views at this point and uh, it just blew his channel up he was getting five six thousand subscribers a day for a while from That's that crazy. video 
and then, so he actually changed the channel's name and focus uh, after that. Wow. Now it's more of like a video essay channel. Very similar to Ben Sullins, who was featured here on the, the podcast not too long ago, who uh, is the owner of Teslanomics. Mm-hmm. He's an analytical guy who just created a bunch of videos about Excel and data, all kinds of random things. And then one day he posted one about Tesla. And then now all of his videos are about data related mm-hmm. to Tesla, because like you said, so that like part of the lesson for me is you kind of just have to be patient and continue to yeah. post and be consistent, but be patient. And then YouTube will kind of tell you um, at some point, you know, what it is that people really want. It's very true. There's a new creator that I met recently uh, his, his YouTube name is Chubby Emu. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, like multiple years, he was making gaming videos that did all right, not that great. And then a, a few months ago, he just started posting these medical videos because he's actually a medical student or possibly a graduate at this mm-hmm. point. So he'll post videos like a grandma ate nothing but peanuts for four weeks and here's what happened to her liver. And then the, the thumbnail is just like an x-ray of a liver and millions of people watch these videos. So clearly YouTube told him like, this is what works for you. And he's pivoted to being now a medical explainer channel and doesn't do any gaming content whatsoever. That's crazy. That's, that's awesome. That's a cool example. Um, Yeah. So you just kind of experiment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the cool thing about YouTube. I mean, you can do whatever you want and and see Mm -hmm. what happens. We'll link to the time boxing video now that I know people are interested in what the heck that is. So we'll link to that in the show notes too. Um, But going back to our plan here, uh, sorry, we went a little bit on tangent, but in terms of scripting, I'm curious, this is a big question. I always get like, do I, do I script the videos? Do I use a teleprompter? Do I just outline and trust myself or do, do I just wing it completely? What do you do? I do a combination of scripting and outlining. Uh, I did buy a teleprompter, but I don't ever use it. Yeah, same. Um, I use a teleprompter for the Crash Course project. I did a mini series for the channel Crash Course, and they forced me to use a teleprompter. But with that, I was very far away from the camera in a long studio room, so you can't tell that I'm reading. Um, I came home, I bought a teleprompter thinking that it would help my workflow, but I stand very close to the camera when I film in my room, so it was so obvious that I was yeah. reading, and I immediately ditched it. Mm. So what I do is I either outline my videos for things like the eight things you should stop doing in the morning or I fully script for really complicated videos like the hydration one or the why you're always tired video and if it is an outlined video I can usually film it in a half an hour I go off the outline I ad lib a lot of things Um, I think it's actually more human Mm -hmm. but for the really complicated videos I find that I need to script and usually I have to do it twice so I'll put the iPad up I'll put the script I'll memorize line. I'll say it to the camera as many times as possible. And I am not yet good enough an actor to deliver that script uh, to my standards the first time. So usually there's one film take and I always intend for it to be the one film take, but (laughs) half an hour into it, I'm only a quarter through the script. I hate myself. I hate the script. I think my YouTube channel is going to crash and burn. I quit for the day and then I come back the next day. And because of the spacing effect and because of a good night's sleep, I deliver the script like a good actor should. And it's great. <laughs> nice. So do you, so it's when, one of those two. when you record, do you record bits and pieces at a time and then kind of do the bits and pieces over and over and over again before you move on to the next part of the video? Or do you go like all the way through and then like you said, all the way through again? It's so it's one long take, but it's each line is said until it's right. And then I move on to the next Got line. It. Okay. And then the magic comes in the editing, right? Yep. Yeah. So I actually edit backwards. One. 
So I'll put everything into the timeline and then I go to the end because I know the last take of every line was the good one, most likely. Yep. So I'll just cut that and then I'll scroll back and I'll have to see myself flubbing the line over and over and over again until I find the next one. And I've been doing this long enough where I can kind of tell the waveforms change shape when I start saying a new line mm-hmm. so I can skip over things. I know some people will snap after they do a bad take yeah. so they can just see all these pops in the waveforms. I do a click, I go like that. There you go, yeah. I don't do that. Um, it kind of messes with my workflow, but mm-hmm. it can be helpful for people who are not used to reading waveforms. That's it's like its own language. It, it is. So and that's you, filming. And you learn faster as you, as you keep doing this. I've, I'm still, you know, when I edit like my vlogs, for example, it's a lot easier now than it was, you know, a year ago when I started. Okay. So, uh, mm-hmm. planning and scripting and research, right? A roll. What is a roll? A roll. So if you're doing a talking head video like you do and like I do, the A roll is the person on screen talking. Uh, A more general definition of A roll would be whatever the base layer of the video is. So some creators do not have an A roll because they are entirely voiceover based and then Mm -hmm. they just do animation or they'll do all clips and pictures. But if you are filming a documentary or you're filming a host at all, you're the host, that's the A roll. So by the time the A roll cut, as I call it, is done, I have a fully edited to length talking head video that could technically be posted and it would be intelligible and watchable. But you don't post that one. Why? No, because no one wants to stare at my face. Okay, I'll put I'll, I'll take that back. Maybe some people want to stare at my face talking for 12 minutes. You do have a nice face. I wouldn't want to stare at my face talking <laughs> for 12 minutes. <laughs> there are definitely people who can get away with talking to the camera for 12 minutes and using almost no B-roll whatsoever. Uh, Philip DeFranco is a great example. Yeah. He uses very minimal B-roll in his episodes. And then there's this other guy, uh, Leo. I forget his... Oh, it's actualized.org. He posts... And I don't know how he does this. They're like 40-minute long videos. One take, no flubs. Just he's In one long take, he just talks to oh, the camera the bald for 40 dude, right? minutes. He's the bald dude yeah. who... He ranks for passive income. Like, why Why can't really? I outrank this? Yeah, he has this, this really cool <laughs> thumbnail of him really close up to the video holding number three, but not with like the three middle fingers, but like... Oh, it's the French three. The French the three. European like, three. For whatever reason, it probably gets a ton of click-throughs and I'm just like, oh, The that three guy. that uh, would have saved the characters in Glorious Bastards. Yes. <laughs> it's the one that gave him away. That's uh, actually the three that I use because I find it harder to put my ring finger up. Really? So I, I do it that do, way. Um, anyway. Um, it's like a metal three right there. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should do a passive income video with your fingers like that, like metal with the thumb out, and people would easily click on that one instead. Right, rock out, <laughs> how to rock out to passive income. Yeah, um, he was he was one of my first influences when I started YouTube because back then his channel was very grounded in productivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, he keeps like doing psychedelics and having weird trips into the spiritual plane. So I've kind of fallen out of love with his channel, but I am consistently impressed with his ability to talk about a topic with no flubs. He can get into the podcasting mindset talking to a camera. I yeah, can't do that's that. That's hard to do. I, I can't yeah. do that either, um, unless <clears throat> I'm with somebody and doing an interview, like in a Tesla, or maybe one day yeah. in a DeLorean. We will see. Okay, so you film this whole A-roll thing, and that's like you, like you said, your base layer. So if you're thinking about when yeah. you're editing, that's like one, uh, one line or one, um, one track, if you will. And then yep. the B-roll, how do you know what... So what is B-roll, and how do you know what to shoot? B-roll is anything else. So that could be uh, little clips you film. 
And uh, it could be images, it could be animations or quotes or really anything else you throw on screen. So the way that I handle B-roll, um, I often plan a little bit of it during the scripting process, especially if it is a fully scripted video. I'll often bring that video into Google Docs and I'll use the little highlighting and uh, note suggestion changes tool to write B-roll ideas. Like, mm. you know, have a picture of Elon Musk here, have a picture of Oscar the Grouch here. Um, but usually what I'll do is I'll watch through my A-roll cut in Premiere and I'll just have a Google Docs bullet list open writing out B-roll ideas. So jokes, visual puns, things that need to be shown there. If I have a quote, I'm obviously going to show a quote animation, probably with the picture of the person or the book it's from. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that watch through, I've just got this huge to-do list at that point. Do you have a rule for yourself in terms of like how much B-roll there should be? Or I should never go X amount of seconds before, you know, of just my face only? No, I don't. I used to. And I remember I created that rule for myself because Chase Reeves told me, I love your videos, Honky, because you're always, you know, it's 15 seconds before the next piece of B-roll and I never get bored. So for a while I was like 15 seconds. just okay. like Chase, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I got his voice down. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> now I'm just going to start laughing like him. Um, but I've observed a lot of my videos in the past and I realized some videos do incredibly well, even if there are long stretches of me talking. Mm -hmm. So clearly my audience doesn't necessarily care if there is X amount of B-roll or X amount of seconds between B-roll. It's more, is this video entertaining? That's the question to me. If I'm watching through it and I'm getting bored, then the audience is probably going to get bored. I'm also a very creative person. So I probably put in way more B-roll than I need. Mm -hmm. And I'll just, I'll hear myself say a certain word and I think, okay, there has to be a picture of Macho Man Randy Savage popping up. Otherwise, I can't publish this video. So. <laughs> I mean, that goes along a l uh, with something I wanted to talk about really quick is when I started on YouTube, at least to get serious in YouTube, uh, not less than a year ago, um, you would give me some good feedback on one of, my, one of my first videos that I was kind of really trying to make great. Mm -hmm. And it was a very specific example, but it meant a lot to me. And I, was, I was very thankful that you gave me this feedback. And it was related to kind of the, what you just talked about. There was a part in a video where I talked about how um, we're all coaches. Parents are coaches. Uh, managers are coaches. And teachers are coaches. Like, we're all coaches. So we need to learn how to become better coaches. And this was a video about my favorite business book of 2017, which is called The Coaching Habit. Um, and to go along with what you said earlier, like if I had just put the Coaching Habit by, you know, Michael Bungay, and nobody would click on that. But because right. I made the video my favorite book of 2017, and the thumbnail was me with a question mark on a book, people have had messaged me saying I wouldn't have clicked on that unless, I, if you gave me the title, I wouldn't have clicked on it. It was because I was just so curious about what that book was, is the yeah. reason I clicked on it. But then you gave me some feedback, and you were like, from that specific example, you're like, Pat, you lost a great opportunity there to just add a little bit more personality into it. You, you had said that, you know, the example of um, parents and uh, teachers and managers as coaches, like always make the third example like a fun random one that kind of reflects your past or is just, you know, is a little bit of your personality. So you had mentioned like, um, you know, parents show a picture of parents, managers show a picture of a manager working with our team. And then for teachers show, who was it? You, it was Miss Frizzle from Miss Frizzle, School yeah, bus. from Magic yeah. School Bus, right? And that, that just little tweak right there made so much sense to me. And I wasn't thinking like that until you said that. And then now I've been, you know, a lot better at injecting kind of my random nerdiness into 
um, mm-hmm. into that. And, you know, you don't have to put nerdy things like that in there. You can, if you're a UFC fighter, you know, you can have, you know, somebody teaching somebody UFC or something instead. It, it just reflects your personality a little bit and people get to know you a little bit better without you actually having to say, oh, by the way, guys, I put Miss Frizzle here because I used to watch this when I was a kid and I love science. Like, I don't have to say that. The yeah. image does that for me. Like, can you talk a little bit more about why things like that are really important to do in your videos or just in general? Yeah. So those are like visual gags or visual metaphors. And I use them, number one, again, it makes the video more entertaining for me. So I'm, I'm excited and almost giddy to put up a joke like that. If there's like, you know, a stupid joke about, you know, the rock being in, a jo- in my video or something, I love it. So mm-hmm. I think familiarity is one of the core human drives and is, is something that that makes people love what they're watching. People don't want something that is 100% new, um, which is why like a movie like Ready Player One is so friggin' successful and compelling because it's so full of references from your childhood. And you're like, oh my God, it's King Kong and he's playing Pac-Man and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you can put a little reference in there and it's a little familiar people are going to pay more attention. And there's also that little bit of exclusivity where people are like, I get that reference. Yeah, I know that reference. So that plus it's a little unexpected. So I forget what the six elements are, but there are six elements in comedy, one of which is surprise. So if you can bring a little bit of surprise into your videos, you create a little bit of fun. Maybe not a laugh out loud moment, but is more fun than if you just had a stock photo of a teacher. And the other last thing I'll say is there's something in video editing that they call Lord Privy Seal. A Lord Privy Seal is when you put a visual on screen that adds no new information to what you have said. So the example of putting just a stock photo of a teacher in a classroom when you say the word teacher, that's a Lord Privy Seal because you're just creating a one-to-one visual representation of what you're saying on camera. And sometimes that can work Sometimes that's necessary if the visual actually provides more context or clarifies what you're saying. But if it's just a stock photo, you're basically just saying, well, somebody told me I should have pictures over my video instead of my face, so I'm going to do it. Whereas a picture of Miss Frizzle is not a Lord Privy Seal because it is a picture of a teacher, but it's also a reference to a, to a TV show that a lot of your audience has probably seen. Mm-hmm. So then that was a fun element to it that adds something. So would you recommend not including just images that are stock images that match what you're saying? Like, is that a bad thing to do? I use stock photos sometimes, but my rule for it is, does this make the video more entertaining to watch? So in the Elon Musk video, I mentioned something about traffic and I went and found like this cool time-lapse shot of traffic moving through a city. I was like, that's aesthetically pleasing. I think the other thing is people, there's like a stocky quality to stock photos, they're kind of like lifeless and boring by default. And I don't know why they exist in many cases. <laughs> I think they exist because corporations want to put pictures on their website maybe. Yeah. But a lot of times like, yeah, people will just go find like a stock photo of teacher in classroom and it's, there's nothing exciting about it. You know, if you have a cool drone shot of traffic, at least that's like visually appealing to look mm-hmm. at. Yeah. The visually appealing thing works really well. Like you said, and you do a lot of great B roll where it's like, and I think this is true. You have like a space in your office where you literally, it's like a white box and that's where you show things like if you're flipping through a book you put this book in this white box with nice lighting and then you actually film like yourself flipping through the book and maybe pointing at a passage yeah right and although that doesn't like although i'm not going to pause the video and read what you're pointing to it makes me feel like i'm there with you right yeah 
So that's a good point. I don't want to get people. I don't want people to be too hung up on lower privy seals because then they're going to start asking themselves like, is every piece of B roll a lower privy seal? Okay. It's just that if you catch yourself like on a stock like I stock photo, googling, you know, a uh, trash can on street corner or something like that, and you're only doing it because someone told you to put B roll in a video, that's when you want to ask. Mm-hmm. But I love showing the books that I'm talking about with my overhead setup. And if anyone wants to build an overhead setup, I built mine for really cheap. It's just using galvanized steel pipes from Home Depot and um, like shop lights with wax paper taped over them. Uh And then uh, you can get like a clamp arm for your camera. And I just have it clamped at the top of the the pipe. And that's filmed all after the the face video, right? Yeah, I'm pretty bad at filming, demonstrating, like demonstrating things while filming. It's one of those things I'm not very experienced in. So it is something I want to get more into. And whenever I have a space where I have a camera person and they have room to maneuver around, I may do more of that. Mm-hmm. But because I've got limited space and I just tend to work better by doing the A-roll first. Well, and then finally, in terms of video production, spit and polish, like what are a few things that you do to polish up your videos after, you know, you have the A-roll and the B-roll layered on top of that and the audio is great. Like, what do you do? Uh, sound effects and music. So I use epidemicsound.com to find music, though I'm also starting to learn music production myself, and I'll be using my own beats in the background once I get some beats made. You said epidemic sound? Epidemic sound, yeah. That's royalty-free? That's royalty-free. That one is 30 bucks a month. So if you're a creator who has 30 bucks a month to spare, that would be great. But there are also lots of free sources. Kevin Kevin McLeod, which I think his website is Incompetech, YouTube audio library. Um, SoundCloud has lots of creative commons music that you can search for. Uh, there's tons of good stuff, but background music just adds a bit of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of livens up a dead sound. And then I do a lot of work in After Effects. So for people who don't know, Premiere Pro is Adobe's video editing program that I use. I'm guessing, I don't know, Caleb uses it. Uh, many people out there use Final Cut as an alternative. Mm-hmm. And then After Effects is a motion graphics design program. So I started teaching myself After Effects a few years ago, and I use that for basically all pictures, all quote animations, anything like that, because I can add what are called easing curves to anything that I move. So if I've got a picture that's coming from the left onto the screen um, in Premiere, you can do easing curves in Premiere, but it's kind of difficult. But basically, like a linear motion line would be just something moving onto the screen at a, at a fixed rate of speed. Mm-hmm. Whereas an easing curve would let it either start out slow and speed up or or start very fast and slow down or some variation in between. And that gives a much more lifelike, pleasing motion to the eye. If you look up like Disney animation classes and you look at how they hand draw things, there's a lot of easing along with bouncing and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I am also able to do a lot more with motion blur, things like that. Virtual cameras, virtual lighting. So... I just let my imagination run wild and I try to present things in a really visually appealing way instead of just popping a graphic up onto the screen. I never want something to come out of nowhere without some indication of how it got there. Mm -hmm. I like that. Thank you for that rundown. Um, Fantastic. Lastly, I want to talk about your business model. Like Now that you have this large subscription base and fans, really, on YouTube, um, you also publish your podcast, um, both on, Mm -hmm. obviously, iTunes, but as a video too on, on a separate YouTube channel, which yeah. is great. And you have collagenfogeek.com. 
what is the business model for you here? I mean, are you just making money through ads now because you have this large YouTube channel or, you know, what, what's, what's the lay of the land there for you? Right now, the biggest source of income is, um, sponsorships and brand deals on my channel and the podcast. So almost every video right now has a sponsor at the end. And I actually turn the AdSense off of those videos for the first 30 days because I want the sponsor to get as much of a, you know, call to action value as possible. So I don't want to be having them competing with an ad Mm -hmm. uh, from YouTube. So that is the biggest income driver. And then there's also some money from AdSense. And then of course, I'm still very focused on growing the website. I've got a team whose entire job is making sure the website is still, um, you know, not neglected and is still the best source of information on the internet for how to be a more effective student. So the website still brings in income through affiliate marketing as well. Yeah, and, and then book sales too. I would recommend everybody check out uh, the resource page that Thomas has on College Info Geek. I don't know if you know this, but I, I reference it all the time as like a really, really good resource page. Oh, really? You have, you have this ultimate packing list for college that just lists literally, literally everything a person in college will need to know. I would imagine that would perform very well because once a person wants one thing, I mean, you have all the things they need. I mean, they're going to get everything and then you get, you know, those things add up. Um, yeah. And, and how and you the books page too. People love the books page. The Everyone books wants page. book recommendations. Yep. Cool. Um, so we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. And then I know every single semester I send an email to my list saying, hey, if you're moving into a dorm, here's the packing list. If you need to save money on textbooks, here's my textbook guide. I make very little money off the textbook guide, but I want people to save money on textbooks because they're ungodly expensive. Yeah. Um, and then the big driver of people from the YouTube channel to the website is the ebook that I wrote. So everyone says write an ebook, right? Uh, so I set out to write an ebook back in 2014. This was actually really, really early on in the YouTube journal uh, journey. And like everyone says on the internet, you should write this short, punchy guide that's easy to put together and it just gives a few extra tips to your audience. Uh-huh. Um, but I screwed up and accidentally wrote a 27,000 word book. <laughs> like a legit, <laughs> book. I, legit book. Um, it's over 100 pages. I still gave it away for free because I said I was going to do it and I wanted to stick to my word. Mm-hmm. And that has grown an email list of over 200,000 people. Wow. And I then took my PDF. I learned how to format it as a real book. And that now does nearly $1,000 a month in print sales every single month. And my lit agent just sold the audio rights to a publisher. So we're going to have an actual publisher publish the audiobook version of it uh, this year. That's all. This is the 10 steps to earning awesome grades book. Yes. And because it's free and I think I got this tip from you a long time ago, you know, you give your free book to your audience and then ask them to review something like review your podcast or if it's on Amazon, review it. I did that and it is now easily the highest reviewed study skills book on Amazon ever. Sweet. So (laughs) that's awesome. uh, That's like the power of giving things away for free. And if you can give the majority of what you make away for free, you're going to build your audience so much faster. I truly believe that. Dude, well done. Any tips for the creators out there, whether it's YouTube creators, podcast creators, whatever, they're just getting started. They haven't reached that tipping point yet. What words of encouragement can you give them to keep going? 1% better every day or every, everything you do um, and publish frequently. There's this research study that was done, I can't remember where, where half the class was told to make the most perfect pot that they could. It was a pottery class. And the other half told, was told they would be graded on the amount of pots they made. 
And then when they went and objectively judged the quality of the pots, all of the best ones came from the quantity side of the class because the perfectionists who were told they were going to be graded on one perfect pot spent so much time on theory and thinking about the design and everything. But really, like, there's a zillion things out there you don't even know you could do regardless of what your craft is. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, I will publish once a week. That was my initial YouTube goal. And with every single video, I thought, what can I make 1% better? Can I have fewer vocal pauses in my on-camera presence? Can I make eye contact with the camera a little bit better? Can I work with virtual lights and after effects this week? And if you do that every single week or every single whatever period of time you define, I think eventually something's going to strike a nerve and you're going to get yourself to that level of quality that's just above everyone else. Dude, amazing tip. Thank you so much, Thomas. And congrats on all the success and all your future success. I mean, your channel's growing so fast. Congrats on a million subs and your gold button, which I saw you post uh, the other day, which I'm <laughs> super there. jealous about. Yeah, it's, it's so sweet. And it's the new one too. I didn't. I it didn't, is the new one. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's they, way they, lighter. I've been told the other, the last one is like I don't know twenty or thirty pounds. Oh yeah. Yeah. This one's very light. That's but I'll awesome. be looking forward to seeing it on your wall very soon as a, well. A gold one one of these days, but the silver one is coming. Silver you get at a hundred thousand. Thomas has a gold one for over a million, and then maybe we'll see that diamond one at ten million one day for you. Yeah. Then sweet. I'll get a, a Ruby Brofist one for 50 million. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's pretty funny if like the next person that hits 50 million, they just give them the PewDiePie one I know, instead right? of custom making one for them. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, but yeah, Thomas, man, thanks th- for having me on the show. Dude, thank Seriously, you so like, much. Super inspirational. A lot of great tips. Um, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Absolutely. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Thomas Frank. You can find him on YouTube. Thomas Frank, just look him up and also College Info Geek. He is also one of the best resource pages on the web that I found for any brand, really, that's doing very well for him. So if you go to collegeinfogeek.com, check out his resource page. This is how I teach the people who are taking my affiliate marketing class uh, how to create a resource page that actually helps, especially because he has this college packing list and a checklist that you could download, all these things to really help with his commissions, but obviously just being incredibly helpful for anybody who's going to college. And um, so check that out. And man, Thomas, you're amazing. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you want to check out the links and the show notes and everything that we talked about today, head over to my blog at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 324. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 324. And uh, we'll have links to all the good stuff. So hey, thank you again so much for listening and I appreciate you. And hey, really quick, one thing that we're starting to do a lot more now are live trainings for those of you who want to learn about all kinds of things from affiliate marketing to podcasting to just even how to get started, find your niche, all those things. We're doing live trainings every single month now. So if you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash trainings, you will go to a page where you can just quickly register for one of those and you can watch me live and I'll teach you some stuff. So again, smartpassiveincome.com slash trainings and I look forward to, uh, to seeing you there. Thanks so much and chat soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. 